0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. How many of you ever find in life that there are just some things that just stay just out of our reach? Something that seems to mock and taunt us to the point of dissatisfaction. It seems like no matter how well life is going, there's there's always that little grain called discontentment that seems to taint our peace and our satisfaction with the life that we've been given to live. It seems sometimes that no matter how well we've been blessed, there's always that little missing piece that would just, oh my goodness, if it would fall into place, it would just make everything just right. Just right. You know, some time ago I was introduced to one of these cell phone apps and it has to do with home automation. And the name of the app is called If This Then That. And what happens is in that app, if you will set up some trigger points, if one thing happens, then another thing automatically will happen or a series of other things will automatically happen in response to that one thing. And sometimes I think that we live with an if this, then that attitude, a perspective on life. We just we constantly have that thing that if this, if this happens, then that will be, you know, if this will happen, then life will just be all right. It'll all be okay. We've got it all figured out. We know exactly what holy grail we need to possess or what benchmark we need to achieve for life to be just right for us. If we could just get that next promotion or graduate to that next step on the pay scale, if we could get into that new house or that new car, if we could achieve that certain level of recognition or uh, among our peers or in our field of of expertise, whatever it is, if we could just have the relationships with the right people, then, oh my goodness, then life would just be so fine. How many of you know what I'm talking about this morning? Just live in that spot. If, If these things would happen, then my life would be the way I need it to be. What many have found out and what some have failed to recognize and what multitudes have yet to learn is that when this is our perspective in life, there is no end to the discontentment. There's no end to the dissatisfaction and the illusion of of joy is never ending. The discovery to be made is that of Solomon when he wrote in the opening words of Ecclesiastes, and he says, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit has a man from all of his labor in which he toils under the sun? And I want to say at the onset of this message that you may find that you have everything that this world has afford can afford. But if you don't have the Lord in your life, it can be very empty still. If you're not living for the right reasons, if you're not pursuant of the right things, if you've not prioritized your life in an appropriate way according to the truth of God's word, it's still going to be empty. It's still going to be vain. Listen, I want you to watch a short video clip here and we'll come back to this message in just a minute. But I believe it illustrates this point very well.
1: From the upcoming film, True Crimes, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner... Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe-winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. it would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search.
0: You and I laugh, and that's a humorous thing, but there's a lot of truth in what he just said. If we're seeking after the wrong things and for the wrong reasons, it's just going to be empty. It's just going to be vain. As a matter of fact, the same Jim Carrey that you just saw there, I've read an article recently and he's quoted in that article as saying, I guess just getting to a place where you have everything everybody has ever desired and realizing that you're still unhappy and that you can still be unhappy is a shock when you've accomplished almost everything you ever dreamt of and more. Then you realize, my gosh, It's not about this. And he concludes with these words and says, And I wish for everyone to be able to accomplish those things so they can see that. That at the end of it all, if we're not trying to pursue the right things for the right reasons with the right priorities, it's all empty, as Solomon said. It's all vain. Can I just be real with you here on a Sunday morning? You and I live, most of us, in a constant tension between where we are and where we'd like to be. We live in a constant tension. And honestly, in God's grand design of things, that's not a bad thing. You know, most of these things, God is... Put it in us. It's in our nature to live in that tension. And as long as that tension is superintended by the leadership of the Holy Spirit and it's founded upon the Word of the Lord, then that is a very beneficial thing for our lives because it's out of that tension that ambition is birthed. It's out of that tension that we find the fuel for our forward progress as the Lord enables. It propels us to greater things as the Lord enables. It's the tension between your empty stomach and food on the table that's going to get you up tomorrow morning to go to work. So it's not altogether a bad thing, but while this is a good thing, it can also prove to be a hazard because if we don't keep this tension in check and we allow the devil to slip in and infuse his lie into that tension, it gives rise in our lives to discontentment. Rather than enjoying the seasons and the days of our lives that we've been given, we simply find ourselves then in a state of discontent, wishing our lives away. And we say, if this, then that. If I could just get that one more rung on the ladder, then everything would be the way I need it to be. If I could just take the next step up, then everything would be the way I need it to be. Can I say something to you a little bit tongue-in-cheek here this morning, but absolutely in all sincerity all at the same time? Will you still love me? See, I've seen some of your social media posts regarding Monday morning. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't have a problem with Monday. The Word says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But it, it kind of saddens my heart a little bit when I, when I see people who start out, and we start out Monday morning without giving any thought to that fact that it is the day that the Lord has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it, first of all, because it could have all ended for us tonight. We start our week counting as meaningless the days of our lives between the weekends that God has numbered, that God has destined with a purpose, and we're just trying to get to Friday again. You know, the weekend actually represents the minority of days in a week. So when we start the week, mourning the weekend past and looking forward to and hastening the weekend ahead, we're wishing most of our lives away. And I know it's cliche, and I know it's what the world does, but that's what the world does, church. We're to be different. Listen, God calls the sun to shine, and the birds to sing, and the rains to fall, whatever the case may be, and God has breathed life into our body, and he's quickened us from our slumber to enjoy the life that he's given us, and I believe he has said it is good, but sometimes we will curse Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, As unnecessary footnotes to the weekend and that's only representative of a deeper truth that a lot of us wish our lives away seasons at the time can't wait to get to the next stop I saw somebody the other day had posted this thing they had a countdown to their retirement and it was like 25 years off in the future And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, talk about wishing your life away. I mean, you get up every morning and go, well, I've only got 25 years, 342 days, 16 hours and 73 seconds. Y'all didn't know there were 73 seconds on any measurement, did you? But anyway, there you go. That's what improv will cost you sometimes. A very popular song in the 1980s, the early 1980s, proves to be very true. Everybody's working for the weekend. I offered this caution to you, though, in all sincerity. There will come a time, if you live long enough, and the Lord tarries, that you will mourn the fact that you've not embraced the seasons and the times in which you live and you'll long for those Mondays again. And I challenge you today to embrace and live fully in this season in which God has blessed you to see. And the only way to live fully in any season of life without discont- is without discontent robbing you of today's blessing. Look at your neighbor right now and tell him, I am blessed today. Tell them again, I will be blessed tomorrow. And every day thereafter. Discontentment, you see, is a thief. It'll rob from you the thought of what you don't have. It will overshadow every blessing in your life and rob from you the recognition of any good thing that the Lord has done in your life. And in contrast to that, there's a great power in contentment. As we look towards this season when our attention to being grateful is heightened, I want to share with you how contentment is formed in our lives and what part thanksgiving plays in the formation of uh, contentment. I say that contentment is formed in our lives because I don't believe that contentment is a natural reflex. I don't believe that contentment is a natural reflex as we look at life situations and the, the, the circumstances that we often find ourselves in. I mean, maybe there's a few of you that are those glass half full people all the time. And, you know, just everything's pushing up roses and every, everything's all good every minute of every day. I want to caution you a little bit and just tell you sometimes you make the people around you a little nauseous. (laughs) Because we can't all just be like that all the time. Because for a lot of us, discontent is a very natural reflex. You see, it only takes one person having something just a little better, something just a little newer than ours to suddenly cause us to have a different perspective on our own lives we we don't understand why it gets to be that way for them and it's not that way for us and woe is me and then we start in that downward spiral and the reason I speak we speak about growing in the things of the Lord so often and maturing in Christ is because once we get saved it doesn't just naturally rest from us all of those natural and and ungodly tendencies and negative tendencies that kind of hinder us moving forward. So you and I are called upon, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to put those things to death, to, to mortify, as Paul says, the deeds of the flesh, and to lean and rely on the Holy Spirit to birth in us and help to bring to life through us things that are more godly. And this is one of those areas where we need to be careful to put to death the reflex of discontentment and develop and learn contentment. We're to resist the ungodly and the sinful influences and embrace the transforming power of God in our lives. And one such influence... Uh, natural influence under which the world operates is this. John describes it saying this in 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it's of the world. John continues in that and says that this world is passing away and the lusts of it. In other words, John's saying there's a superficiality that's associated with what this world has to offer. It's very temporal. There are things, these are the things though, these superficial and temporary things, they are the things with which the adversary constantly bombards us and with those things he tries to convince us that our lives will not be complete until we have them. You know, if you, if you watch the TV too much, you will be convinced that your life is not complete until you have the latest iPhone upgrade. It's just, you're, you're just a broken person. You're just a broken person until you can take pictures of people 35 different ways. You gotta have it. Come on, man, don't you wanna be whole and up to speed with the rest of us? the sad reality is when you get it home, six weeks later it's already out of date because there's a new thing and the thing they told you that was going to complete you now is the thing that is really letting you down. You know? And it's just a vicious cycle endlessly and so often these temporal things are set before us by the enemy as a mirage of what life would look like if only. If this, then That. See, the devil wants you and I to be so distracted by things that don't really matter that we give up on the pursuit of things that do. And John contrasts the things that matter and the things that don't for us in this very next verse and says this, And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So the paramount thing for you and I is that we would be careful in our own lives, not just individually, but corporately as a church, to be about the Father's business and to be about the pursuit of the will of God. Is that what I read here in the text? That, that we are to be, the priority of our lives is to be pursuant of the will of God. Now, if you're a note taker today, I want you to write that down. If you like to scribble in your Bible, I want you to, I want you to underline that, that part of that word there, that, part, that phrase of that verse there as I have. Because discontentment will cause you to give your time, your energy, and your resources to things that don't matter. And what really matters specifically in your life is not what you have, but are you walking in the will of the Lord for your life? And Paul encourages the Romans this way and says, for, you, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I want to challenge you today, church, to put to death the reflex of discontentment. And you say, how do I do that? Well, I say to you that it's by laying the desire to complain and to feel sorry for yourself. And to downplay the blessings in your life, lay those things on the altar, sacrifice it to the Lord, and learn how to live in contentment. You see, because contentment is a learned quality. In Philippians chapter 4, I asked you to turn there earlier. We picked this up in verse 11, and Paul writes to the church there and says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, there's that phrase. I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned, there it is again. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How do we learn contentment? Whenever we're trying to learn anything... There may be a variety of methods that we employ, but at the end of the day, in some way, we engage in exercises that help us learn and ingrain certain things into our knowledge base. Our band, our worship team that's up here playing for you on Sunday mornings, unless there's a prodigy in the group, probably not any of them just walked up to their instrument of choice one day and picked it up and just said, hey, watch this. No, 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 no. It, it may have actually had a fairly rough start. I, as I was thinking about this illustration, I was thinking about when I started playing guitar at, at the age of 12. My first Christmas, I got an acoustic guitar. The next Christmas, I wanted an electric guitar <laughs> with loads of distortion. It was after that that my parents soon relegated me to the garage to do my rehearsals because, uh, well, you can imagine why. But these musicians that are here, they started out with scales and arpeggios and exercises. There were finger strength exercises and dexterity exercises that they went through with great regularity in order for them to become proficient in, in, in their instruments in being able to bring the ministry to you in such a melodic way as they do this morning. Same is true for professional athletes, regardless of their sport, their drills that they engage in constantly, continually to develop their mechanics, to develop their endurance, to develop their accuracy, exercises that help with their muscle memory. And if you and I are going to be developed in the area of contentment, there are certain exercises that are going to bring that to pass in our lives. And the greatest exercise is the expression of gratitude. We have to practice being thankful people. It doesn't actually come real natural to us sometimes. It's it's a discipline. It's a learned thing. See, go back to that Monday morning post. You know, we could say before you get on there and let everybody know how bad you dread the day and the week ahead, why not give thanks to the Lord for the day ahead? Just say, I thank you, Jesus, for the opportunities that are going to come my way this week. Say, I thank you in advance, Lord, for the blessings that are going to come my way today. And when the devil tries to tell you that what you have is not enough, you respond to him with, I'm not worthy of the least of the blessings that God has poured into my life. And instead of complaining about them, I'm going to thank him for each and every one of them. I'm going to number them and name them before the presence of the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life. Get up every day. Thank God for your spouse. Don't complain about them, what they do with the toilet seat and all that stuff. Thank God for them. Don't complain about those kids. They're a blessing. Yes, I know they're nasty and they make your home gross, but thank God for them. Right? Don't complain about your job. Thank God that you have one and, and that you have the strength and the ability to get up and go to it. This is how we learn contentment. We shift our focus from the problems to the blessing. We purpose to be thankful for all the blessings that the Lord has poured into our lives. And you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know about my job. You don't know what it's like at my job. And you don't know what it's like at my home. And you don't understand what it's like to drive the car that I drive and, you know, have the things that I have. You know, you you just don't get it. I didn't say you had to be totally satisfied with it to be content in it and to be thankful for it. As a matter of fact, Paul didn't necessarily say that he learned to be content with hunger because he enjoyed it. He wasn't necessarily a fan of having to live on so little sometimes, but he chose to be grateful for what he did have regardless of how much or how little. And you may be asking this morning, well, that's great, Pastor, uh, but what's the value in this information? You know, you can be content all you want to, but I'm going for the gusto. Hey, right? I saw a t-shirt one time. It said this. It said, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. Right? So. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with having goals and having dreams. We applaud that. We celebrate that. As a matter of fact, we've spent this whole year encouraging you to move forward. So we're really big fans of progress. We like it a lot. We think people enabled by the Holy Spirit should be extraordinary people. People of the Spirit should be extraordinary people. But... The word says that there's a way that seems right to a man and there's a way that's commonplace in the world and it's seen as the way to get ahead but how many of you know sometimes the Bible is contrary to nature and it's a little counterintuitive for us as human beings And I'm here to tell you, Christian, if you really want to get ahead, then you'll do it God's way. And that way is through the exercise of contentment. And what we'll find in that is that contentment adds a great gain to our lives. Contentment adds a great blessing to our lives. When Paul was coaching his young protege, Timothy, he encouraged him in this way... And he says this now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out and having food and clothing with these we shall be content and you may be thinking this morning that this is so counterintuitive how can it be that that my contentment with what i have is going to propel me forward towards greater things well we learn it all through scripture Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus taught in Matthew 6 that, you know, the, 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 the lilies, consider the lilies. Just how they're arrayed in beauty. They don't work and toil to get there, but God takes care of them. Consider the sparrows. They, they don't go through all the rigors that we do, but God provides for them and he feeds them. And then he says, how much more is your heavenly father going to take care of you? If he's taking care of these situations, then how much more is he going to take care of you? And he concludes that teaching, as many of you know, with the verse that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things are going to be added to you. So rather than grinding and worrying and stressing and straining so much, we just put God first. And say, God, where I am right now isn't necessarily what I want to be where I want to be but I'm going to prioritize you first in my life and when we put God first in our lives we'll find that things just simply work better that's not to say that you won't have troubles or hardships because you will it's simply to say that when we honor God with our lives and we put him in first place and give him that priority position in our lives over everything else he takes care of us listen Daniel went to a real lion's den. There was nothing fun about it. But he purposed to honor God and God took care of Daniel. Joseph was sold into real slavery. He went to a real dungeon. He faced real betrayal. But he purposed to honor God and make him the priority and God took care of Joseph. It's a well-established pattern in the word. That if we'll take care of putting God first in our lives, God will take care of seeing to it that we get where we need to be. If we'll trust God, he will exalt us in due season. When we allow discontent to creep in, however, it won't be long until we take our eyes off of God and we find that we're wanting other things more than we're wanting God. And child of God, listen to me, he won't be second place in our lives. If you understand the whole premise of lordship at all, you understand that Jesus is either lord of all or he's not lord at all. You can't be half lord over something. It's it's an operation in totality. He's either got all of you or he's got none of you. But I want to return here to Philippians chapter 4. And we read previously verses 11 and 12. And the next verse, for those of you who are mathematically challenged, is verse 13. How many of you know, I'm gonna, matter of fact, I'm going to give you the countdown here. On, on zero, I want you to all tell me because I know you all know what Philippians 4.13 says. Okay? Okay. Give it to me here in three, two, one. Beautiful, beautiful. See, I knew I didn't have to put it on the screen. We we see this verse in so many applications. You know, as a kid, I used to be really impressed with one of the heavyweight boxing champs of the world, Evander Holyfield, because he would always come out to the ring and write down that lapel on his robe. He had it embroidered in real big block letters. It said Philippians 4.13. I said, wow, that's awesome. That's good. That's good. I like that. We've seen it in the eye paint under the eyes of the athletes. And we we often think about that in the context that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In that supernatural power to do extraordinary feats. And that's true. The the Lord will enable us to do those things. But I want to back up because I can't, I've, I've heard Philippians 4, 11 and 12 taught several times. I've heard Philippians 4:13 taught several times but I don't know when the last time is or if ever that I've heard the two taught in context of each other. And when we don't put these verses, we, we like pull those things out and put them on the refrigerator magnets and the post-it notes on our computer screen and all those things so that we can just be encouraged by it. It's it's great. It's a powerful truth on its own that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But I believe it's an even more powerful truth for us today when we put it in its proper context and we look at it in the scope of what Paul is saying. See, so many times our discontent has nothing to do with what we do or do not have. A lot of times our discontentment is rooted in how what we have or don't have makes us feel or how we perceive that others view us because of what we have or don't have that's where content, discontentment really comes from is because the way it makes us feel in relation to those around us. You know, we feel like if we don't have what someone else does, then we're less than. We live in discontent, waiting for the day and wishing we're if this, then that. And one of those things is we wish for the time that we can stand up and be validated by all those things and all those around us because we finally arrived and we finally achieved the status because we've been recognized and we've been validated by somebody else. We're constantly scrolling through Instagram to see how many likes we've got on our picture. We compare that to how many likes some other friend gets on their pictures and how many people like this person's stuff and don't like ours. It's a real thing. Why? Because we want to be validated. We we want somebody else to say, I like you. I, I value I believe you you're a great person you're a good friend i wish i could be like you that's that's what we really want but paul in this text if you back up and you read a little bit ahead of this verse speaking with regard to the needs that he faced as he was trying to dispatch the will of God on his life. Take you back all the way to 1 John chapter 2 when John says, but he who does the will of God will remain forever. So Paul is talking here about the challenges that he has faced in dispatching and walking out the will of God in his own life. Thanking them for their gift. He says, I want to thank you for investing in me. I want to thank you for believing in me. I want to thank you for validating me, such as you have. But he's quick to clarify here not that I speak with regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be with, that that I am therewith to be content. I know what it's like to be hungry and I know what it's like to be full and what Paul says next is this and I'm paraphrasing here but me being who God has called me to be and what God has purposed for me to be is not contingent upon any of these material situations I don't need anybody else's validation to be who and what God has purposed for me to be I don't need that validation. I'm not trying to look a certain way. I'm not trying to impress any certain body. I'm not trying to show out a certain way. I'm trying to be who God created me to be. And all I need in order to be able to do that is the power of Christ at work in my life. I don't have to fit anyone else's criteria. I don't have to measure anyone else's standards. I don't have to fit the mold of society. It doesn't take the latest and the greatest. It doesn't require the most expensive. Paul says, I appreciate you, but whether or not I am the person God created me to be does not depend on your investment. For some of you this morning, under the sound of my voice, that should be liberating because we live in the trap of discontent brought about by whether or not somebody else is going to validate us. The young ladies want the young men to think they're pretty. The young men want the young ladies to think they're cool. The sad reality is that doesn't stop at middle school carries right over into adulthood but I want to tell you today church all that you need to be content in who God has created you to be is the power of the resurrected Christ he validates you he is where your value is derived from He is the source of your value. And the writer to the Hebrews writes in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, and says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We are his sheep. We are his creation. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. See, Christ Jesus validated you and he spread his arms open willingly and laid down his life for you it's nice I appreciate the compliments the occasional gift, the kind word and we should encourage one another by the way But let me tell you when the enemy clouds your perspective and you feel like you're not getting it at the rate that you should you understand that you can be what god's created you to be through christ jesus who gives you strength it doesn't take a new car it doesn't take a bigger house The deal is that some folks are just more worried about what man thinks of them than what God has destined for them and it tears their nerves up. They live worried. They live fearful. Because of it they make poor decisions. They're not good stewards of the resources that God has given them because they've not learned that their true value comes from God and not from what they've got. And here's where contentment adds great gain to our lives. And that's in this. When you and I can get to the place that we recognize that it's the power of Christ working effectively in us, and that's all that's necessary for us to be who God has created us to be, then there's going to be a great gain added to our lives. It changes the whole dynamic of living. There's freedom associated with living this way. There's joy that's associated with living this way. There's peace that's associated with living. It's all gain. It's all gain when we're able to say, Lord, I may not be where I believe you've destined me to be. I'm somewhere on that pathway of faith, and really, Lord, I'm not even really tickled about where I am right now. But I know that you've got this whole thing under control. And it's not my circumstance that defines me. It's not my situation that validates me. But it is the fact that I have been purchased, not with the blood of bulls or goats or silver or gold or corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that validates me. That's where I find my worth.